0: Do you feel like low energy, brain fog, or bloating prevent you from accomplishing your daily goals? Genuine Health's foundational products, Greens Plus, Probiotics, and Omegas can help you feel your best mentally and physically so you can get more things done. When you feel great, it's easier to get things done. Whether you need more energy from increased greens, brain and focus support from omegas or a probiotic to keep your digestion, immunity and gut happy, look to GenuineHealth.com to give your body what it needs so you can do more every day and feel great while doing it. Visit GenuineHealth.com to learn more because done does feel good. Hi, I'm Andrea Donsky, founder of NaturallySavvy.com and co-host of our Naturally Savvy podcast. And I am Lisa Davis, MPH health educator, co-host of Naturally Savvy and author of the book, Cleaning Eating Dirty Sex Memoir Cookbook, Healthy Lifestyle Guide. At Naturally Savvy, we are here to help you make healthier lifestyle choices. So we are so honored that you are tuning in to listen to our podcast on a weekly basis. And we are here to engage you, have fun, and help you live your healthiest lifestyle. Now, on to the show. Naturally Savvy podcast is sponsored by Morpheus for Menopause. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Naturally Savvy. If you listen to the show, you probably heard me talk about my mother who suffered with chronic illness for most of her life and my daughter who has invisible brain based challenges. And it is very, very difficult when you look at somebody and you're like, what's wrong with you? Everything looks fine. Well, guess what? Even if everything looks fine, it doesn't mean that things are fine. So I am really excited to have the wonderful Gigi Robinson on the program. Gigi Robinson is an accomplished digital artist, educator, and advocate with a concerted focus on chronic illness, body image, confidence, and mental health. She holds a bachelor in fine arts in design and photography from the University of Southern California, where she is currently pursuing a master of science in innovation, design, business and technology. With nearly 134,000 followers on TikTok and more than 16,000 followers on Instagram, Gigi Robinson has made a significant impact as an influencer on issues that relate to body image and overall physical and psychological wellness. A member of Gen Z who embraces its most notable values, she has demonstrated a particular ability to connect with people across this vital and sought-after demographic. Gigi, welcome to Naturally Savvy. It's so great to have you on.
1: Hi, thanks for having me. I think there's so much power in telling stories about things that are invisible, especially because people assume that you're always like, okay, in today's world when everything looks so real all the time, um, and it's easy to hide behind a screen. So uh, so yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, well,
0: I look at you and I just see this gorgeous young woman in front of me. And from what I've seen and read, incredibly brilliant as well. And I'd love for you to share your story in terms of when did you first start dealing with chronic illness.
1: Yeah. So there are definitely a lot of, uh, I guess, things to unpack here. So when I was around 11 years old, I started getting mysterious injuries. Um, I fractured my elbow doing a cartwheel. It's like, what? How, what? Like, that's like not normal. Um, Then a year later, I fractured my ankle then a year later, I tore ligaments in my wrists, like jumping off one of those like lake trampolines. And the doctors were kind of like, what is happening here? Um, at first, they were like, oh, maybe it's growing pains. You know, sometimes kids get more injured as they're growing into their bodies and their bones are changing and whatever. But this one orthopedic doctor at the hospital for special special surgery, geez, I always mess that up. Um, <laughs> literally, I'm known to mess up my words too. So we're, you're in good country. Company. <laughs> I can never say the name without messing up the word special. Uh, Hospital for Special Surgery in New York has one of the best orthopedic uh, groups in the world, I think, or the, in the country, at least. So I feel very lucky that I was able to go and have this team of pediatric doctors kind of look at the circumstances and say, hey, here's an educated guess. Like, based on your history of also looking at genetics, right? With like what my parents ha- uh, deal with. And then with what I was going through, they were like, I think you might have EDS, uh, a connective tissue disorder that, uh, I mean, there's 13 different types, I think. It, I think the list is always growing, but it it's incredibly rare to be diagnosed with EDS at such a young age. It's not necessarily a rare condition anymore because of, all of the research that's happened over the past decade, which I think is is great. But to be diagnosed at such a young age was definitely something that I think was kind of difficult, but I didn't understand what what, what it was or how it was going to affect me until I really was on my own in college. And like, I didn't have my parents kind of making appointments for me, it was all about me making appointments for myself and figuring out like, okay, how do I fit going to the doctrine or doing physical therapy, like into my, you know, day at school, um, or at university. And, um, you did kind of mention one thing about my story that I think is very, very, uh, unfortunately not unique, but very problematic is the fact that I look fine. So a lot of my professors actually, uh, I don't want to say they like discriminated against me, but they publicly like in front of other students were like, no, you can't use your accommodations. Meanwhile, they were registered with the university. So I faced a lot of very frustrating things (laughs) in my time at school. And that inspired a lot of my advocacy and my art about it today. What did you say? It's EDS? Yes, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome.
0: So with that, does that
1: cause you to have looser ligaments or tendons? Um, yeah, so I would also love to preface. Um, although I'm working towards Master's of Science now, I'm not a licensed medical professional. Take this with a grain of salt. Um, I, you know, I do research, but it's not on medicine. So um, definitely, just keep this in mind if you're listening. As I describe it, my experience is unique to me. I think something that is incredibly challenging about chronic illness is the fact that it's so dynamic and you can feel extremely debilitated or disabled one day, and then the next day you can be perfectly fine. It's it's very difficult to even understand that concept. People are like, what do you mean? Like, you're not always feeling okay? Or like, you are feeling okay. Or maybe you're fine one day, and then the next day you're like literally bedridden. Um. So EDS, yeah, it, it makes your ligaments loose. So essentially, they can't stabilize joints the way that normal ligaments and muscles function, making it easier to get injured. Um, This specific kind of EDS is called hypermobile EDS for that reason. Um, There are other kinds, as I mentioned, that affect people differently. And um, while I do suffer a lot and have overcome a lot with my experience with it, I know there's people that have it so much worse. And um, again, I think this just goes to show how like dynamic, this, this thing can really be for people. So there's a lot of different things involved with that. And um, to over overcome it, I mean, this has been a decade in the making for me, unfortunately, it's been something that I have been kind of working through for years. Um, I at first actually didn't really like want to address the fact that something was wrong. Like, I would constantly like, you know, kind of like dissociate when I was in the hospital. Like I didn't really realize that. I was just kind of like, oh, I would show up, I would talk to the doctors, like whatever. And then in college when I was on my own and I really started having these issues where I didn't have that support from like my family. It was like, oh yeah, you have to find your doctors. You have to commute by yourself. You have to go by yourself. You have to have your record. You have to do the Kobe, blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh my God, like this is like definitely a real thing. And I, as uh, at the time, like 21 year old, I'm like, okay, I guess if I can't run from it, (laughs) I have to make myself aware and as a fine arts student at the time I was like literally having these conversations with my teachers like they're giving me assignments and I'm like I can't keep up I don't know what I'm doing I I have no inspiration my mind is on my health what should I do and this one teacher said well why don't you use your experience as kind of like the the beginning steps of creating this kind of photo essay um, or documentation of what this chronic condition is through your eyes. So I said, okay, fine. So he's like, bring your camera with you. Maybe do a color study, right? Do a study on the fonts that are used like on signage, Um do a study on you know the different colors that are used inside and around the hospitals why is it that they're so bleak like bleak colors make us feel horrible what would what would it even look like like on a pediatric unit there's a reason why there's so many colors right they want to oh, yeah. distract us and they want to boost our endorphins and make us think that it's so much you know, or maybe it's not the experience that you're going through something really difficult. And I would much rather have that in general, like in in adult uh, and, you know, uh, units. I don't even know how else to describe it. But um, I think doing those studies helped me become more aware and also like kind of heal through my actual diagnosis at the time which I think was a really unique experience I mean we hear about people using art and falling into art when they get sick um, and creating art when they get sick and I think that if that's what you can do to to heal in some ways that's great.
0: I want to ask you about about your book discourse between myself and the waiting room so that was great so that was photographs in the hospital in the waiting room kind of showing things and you 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 take a picture of yourself and it's it's in a one of the mirrors in the in the room, you know waiting for the doctor and you write, "This is how I see myself a simple self portrait and then you go on to write, mirrors make me reflect doctors often deliver news with no resolution for my pain."
1: Before I decided I wanted to do freelancing work and advocate and create content online, I decided that I wanted to do like s- corporate social media and digital marketing strategy. So um, I did get a BFA in critical studies and fine art. So that's my undergrad degree, um, which is, again, hence why I have a photo essay and I have writing that goes with it. Um, I, and as I talk about these color studies, these font studies, all of these things were thought about when I was making this book. And um, I initially just kind of had this as a, as a, a, I think a mechanism to like heal from, like I mentioned before. Um, but after a year of kind of making this book and working on it for a year and almost year, and, it was almost a year and a half. I started in like the fall of 2019. I didn't finish it till the, the summer of 2020. So, um, you know, I wasn't sure what I was going to do but in terms of the the reflection I find it really interesting because most of the time they do put a mirror in the room and when you think about it it's like what are they trying to tell me like why is a mirror here like it's not like a time where you, we normally use mirrors to like either hype ourselves up or like do our makeup or look at ourselves we're never really like looking at herself like that in the hospital um, unless maybe we're at like the dermatologist or like something like that. Right. So I was always in there thinking, why are there mirrors here? Like what, what is it? And from there, I guess when I, when I thought of this, I took my camera with me everywhere and I'm like, okay, like what's going on here? Like if I'm reflecting, how can this mirror be the portal into my mind while I'm I'm a patient, I'm looking at that stupid tile on the ceiling, that foam tile on the ceiling. I'm looking at the fluorescent light. I'm yeah, looking at, at some kind of disclaimer about you know use Purell. Um, we've got that paper on the on the the bed with a pillow with you know probably like a wee wee pad kind of thing on top of it, um, and then we have some you know, poster of sorts about whatever field of study it is in. So it's like, is this mirror supposed to immerse the patient into having a an, a better experience? Is it supposed to be like, oh, like, hey, Bob, like, <laughs> look into this mirror, like, hopefully you're going to you know, realize something while you're here. Um, I'm not really sure. But at the same time, um, a lot of these mirrors are distorted, which again, as I write, um, it kind of also gives you a distorted reality on life because you're like, there, you're thinking you're having this relationship with the doctor, and then you go out into the, the world again, and you just have to like, act like it's normal or like, figure your your life out. So I think that was my intention with this.
0: Well, it's really deep because I never really thought about the mirror, but you know, if you're at the doctor and you feel crappy, do you really want to be looking at the, in the mirror with the horrible lighting and the distortions and it's not a, a great time that you're having and. You want to be like, how do I look? I think if anything, like, I don't want to see how I look. I'm just here
1: because I need help. So why do you have them? So very, very interesting, I thought. Yeah. And also like on that note, sometimes we go to doctors wanting to fix things about our bodies. And I mean, maybe this is more about like the cosmetic industry, but like when you have mirrors in those environments, it wants you to criticize your own body more so that you feed more into the industry and you want to change and you want to go back and you want to get the next procedure done. So I don't know, I'm a little conflicted with mirrors. But um, it's also like if you have these issues with body image, it's just going to exacerbate them.
0: Yeah, well, let's jump into that, because that's something that you struggle with. And you talk about as well. And again, we are going to get into your huge TikTok, And I want to kind of delve into your mind about those and because they're so quick, but they're so clever and how you come up with that. And I think it's great. But talk to us about body image and what did you experience?
1: Yeah, well, going off of my experience with chronic illness, I have always, again, kind of denied this relationship between the mind, body and the soul and how they're genuinely connected. So I think of it this way, when I kind of distracted myself from realizing that I had a problem with my physical body because of genetics, it affected the relationships I had with people, which is kind of like, I think the soul aspect of things, um, which therefore were a detriment to my mind. And it made me like super sad. I wasn't able to have good friendships, again, making me more depressed, like finding ways to kind of, um, cope with that, again, feeding back into body image where then I would like, I don't know, smoke some weed and like eat a lot of food until I was like completely full. And then after that, feel like shit again with my body and then um, feel shit like shit because I ate like shit and then not want to talk to people about it. Like it's so intrinsically related that I think it's wild that there's like like not studies on this, like it's not talked about as much. So that's kind of something that I've been focusing on with my research at USC in my master's uh, degree, which I'm excited, and I'll share more on in the next year. But in the meantime, I think it was really that realization that like I had a, an issue with. I think the relationship that I had to my disability or my chronic chronic illness is, is both. It's a dynamic disability, as I mentioned before. And I really didn't think that, like, I thought at one point that I, that I was going to just like mind over matter with this thing. Um, and again, when I got sick, I realized that I, and when I say I got sick, I'm talking about, I went through a period of like horrible, horrible flare ups. I was I always had this chronic pain, but flare ups just again exacerbate it. So, again, when that happened in 2019, I started taking all these medications. When I started taking these medications, I also developed, like, you know, they were like suppressing my appetite. So then everyone in LA, at USC was telling me, like, you look so good. You look hot. You're skinny. And then I'm like, okay, well, I feel like shit. And apparently I look great. How am I going to feel when I feel good? And maybe I don't look great, right? So – Those are also related, which then kind of inspired me to start talking about it and also looking into the impact that uh, our our body image has when it comes to the way that we consume social media and also how that affects our mental health.
0: I want to talk about mental health. That's something you talk about too. And you had said in one of your TikToks, uh, this isn't exact words, but it it was around, you have a ritual when you take in your medicine and you say, I used to think I was a failure. If I mm-hmm. needed medicine, can you expand on that and tell us a little bit about what you talk about, and what you deal with, mental health wise? It's so yeah. important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I I love that specific video that I made because, yeah, me too. as I mentioned before, it has been a long journey for me to actually realizing that my condition is something that is a lifelong thing. And if I don't deal with it now and at 23, that I might have consequences later on. So um, I don't want to say I'm having my quarter life crisis early, but I think it was more so just like a realization that what, I was doing, no matter what I was doing, wasn't working. Um, and when I say wasn't working, I mean, my chronic pain was unbearable. Um, I've had years and I mean, again, I was diagnosed at 11 and I'm 23. You can do the math, um, of, of not taking medicine and not, uh, really, I think prescribing myself to the world of Western medicine because I thought mind over matter. I can go to therapy. I can go to physical therapy. Um, you know, I can take this herbal medicine or I could do acupuncture and you know, I'm going to, I'm going to feel okay. And you might feel okay in the moment, but then maybe two hours later, you're going to feel like shit. Um, so that was my constant battle for uh, literally until like i came back to New York as a result of the pandemic. So I had just turned, um, I, I was 21. I was about to turn 22. So yeah, I came home in 2020 with the pandemic. I uprooted my life from three years in LA to coming back to New York City. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm here indefinitely now. I don't know when I'm leaving. I might as well find a care team that Um, can help me with this condition here. And luckily, there was a team that my mom found. She's a nurse, so she's really good at research and, you know, thinks things thoroughly um, through. And she found this team at Columbia, and they focus on pain management. And they do both Eastern and Western approaches, which is so cool. And, uh I think it it was just cool because my doctor and I, like, we talked through kind of like plan A and then plan A1 and then plan A2 and then plan B and then plan B1, B2, C. So we kind of got through like a bunch of different things over the past year uh, before we decided, okay, like I can't <laughs> do this anymore. Like I want to incorporate medicine in. And that obviously was again, part of one of our plans. And I, also had so much anxiety in taking medicine, one, because the medicine I take is a controlled substance, which if you aren't familiar, that essentially means you have exactly a 30-day supply, no more, no less, um, and you can only pick your prescription up like a day before. So, what happens if you're traveling? What happens if you, you know, are in a super big amount of pain, or you accidentally drop your bottle and you lose a pill, right? Then you're kind of fucked. Like, you have, you don't have that extra medicine to fall back on. Um, And that has been a little bit stressful, because I love to travel. And uh, coming up with a way to figure that out, right? Am I am I even allowed to like ship this overnight if like my mom picks it up for me? Uh is it allowed to to get to me? What happens if I'm out of the country? Like I literally think there's so many variables going on. So that was one bit of anxiety. The other bit is the fact that the last time I was on medicine, I was dealing with all these things where it was suppressing my appetite and you know, I was like super skinny. Like, I look back to these pictures and the circles under my eyes are, it's so clear, like, how sick it was making me. And, like, I wasn't eating right. And I was dealing with, like, depression because my friends weren't supporting me at the time. They were like, oh, you're being selfish. I'm like, come on. Like, I'm literally in the hospital. Like, yeah, that's, te- I'm so sorry. That's terrible. No longer friends with those people, but uh, I think people come in and out of your life like when you're dealing with this to support you. So those were some anxieties that I had with this medication. And I have now been also, I have to take it three times a day, uh, not to mention. So it's not like I take one in the morning and then I'm done or one at night and then I'm done. It's like morning, lunch, and night every day. I have alarms because otherwise I literally will forget. Um, I've got my little uh, pill box right here. It is. Oh, that's so a nice heated. one. Yeah. I, I really love this one because it's just, it's got all three things of the, ne- the day and it's all in one little spot. So it's easy to travel and you can grab the individual thing if you're going out for like a day. So I think those things, these little things, like also having something that's color coded, something that's cute. Um, it kind of helps the experience of wanting to take medicine. And it's also been something that I think I've talked about with my therapist a lot is kind of like grieving the fact that like, this is probably something that's on the more long-term side of things that i I will have to take to manage my um, chronic illness. But on the flip side, it's giving me autonomy over my life again. And like I'm able to really like function at a level that I couldn't function at six months ago. Um, Or maybe I could function at it, but I was going to be in pain all the time. I was going to be miserable and potentially not be able to do certain things, like maybe even record as many podcasts because I wouldn't have the bandwidth. I wouldn't have the ability to... To, to give up my energy because it was all focused on not being in pain. And if the only way to not be in pain was staying in bed, then that was that. So um, as I mentioned earlier, I feel very lucky and very privileged to live in New York City, to be on a healthcare plan that is, you know, one of the best because of my mom, um, to have access to these doctors and to also have my symptoms be at a place where um, taking a few pills a day is something that dramatically, uh, impacts it. Uh, my, fu- my functionability and just like my quality of life. Um, it's not completely gone away, of course not, but it's definitely been a game changer.
0: Well, I'm so glad to hear that. Now, Gigi, before we jump into your TikToks, do you have any advice for people who are living with an invisible disability, whether it be a chronic illness, of pain or like my daughter has some learning. Um, we don't call them disabilities. We call them differences or autism spectrum or mental health issues. How do you talk to the people in your life for the people who are trying to understand? What would you say?
1: Yeah, this is a great question because I think sometimes when people you love are trying to understand what you're going through, they can ask you insensitive or triggering questions. And I think part of Getting through that is either setting up a boundary or talking them through it and being like, "Look, I really appreciate this question, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't know enough about it, and I'm not comfortable enough to really talk about it. So, can we revisit this? You know, maybe in a couple months, right? Um, and those things are hard to say, of course. Like, I'm, I, I can say it to you here, but actually taking that advice and going out and doing it is definitely tricky. I've even had trouble with it. Um, you know, with things regarding, let's say, uh struggles you might be having with your body, right? That that can be invisible too, the way that impacts your mental health as well. Um and like having someone comment on your body and just saying like, hi, like I I, you know, thank you for this compliment, but this is not something that's really helping me right now. Um and I I would appreciate if you don't comment on my body in the future. And this goes for people with chronic conditions as well. Um, you can also say, I appreciate it, but I'm, I'm just not willing to to talk about it right now. I also think educating yourself on the things that might trigger you, um, or if something does trigger you, sitting down with yourself, writing it out on paper and realizing like, why does this trigger me? Is this something that's like a me problem? Like, am I being, um, am I kind of like, being triggered by something because of a belief about my chronic condition or invisible illness that I'm having, um, because I'm not, I'm not there yet. I haven't accepted it. So therefore it's triggering to me. Um, and I haven't, I've only recently kind of thought about this before. Like if I'm like trying to like, let's say, um, date someone new and they kind of ask me, Oh, like, well, what is your chronic illness? Obviously, this is a unique situation because I talk about it for a living. And if you Google me, you will see me talking about it. But let's pretend I'm just like a regular person who doesn't have a social <laughs> presence. Um, I, I sometimes do get triggered by it. And it's like someone is like, oh, well, what is it? Or like, how does it affect you? Um at first I was like, well, why does this random stranger care about my medical history? Like, this (laughs) this doesn't really apply to them. Um, I feel like this is more personal. Um, So what was triggering about that to me was, again, the fact that a stranger wanted to know about my chronic illness and disability in my eyes to kind of vet out if they wanted to be with me. And when I wrote that out, I realized it was about the fact that a potential partner might not want to be with me because of my chronic illness. And that's why it was triggering. So that wasn't an easy process for me to kind of digest all of that. But taking it and putting pen to paper or, you know, typing it or drawing about it or whatever your form of coping is, I think it's extremely important to do that. And that's why we have journals, right? That's why we write things down. And Um, is this foolproof? No, but can it help you get more clarity as to what your triggers are? And then on top of that, how to talk about your boundaries to someone or to communicate that um, will make you a better communicator. And when you do have these conditions, I think the number one thing is being able to communicate and it's really, it's really, really difficult. Like had I, had I been the communicator I am today, um, you know, in 2019, when I was dealing with all these issues with my friends and, you know, people not believing me, I don't know, like maybe I would have had the the better friendships. But at the time what I did was I shut people out because I didn't want to deal with their BS. And that's sometimes what you have to do To get through those situations. So. Yeah, I agree. Neither is correct. And the way that I cope with it and the way that I process and digest things could be totally different than the way that you do it. So again, take it with a grain of salt.
0: Now I'm a huge fan of support groups. How do you feel? Have you done any or do you like them?
1: Yes. Um, when I was dealing with some of my teachers not believing that I had a chronic condition and issues going on, I actually took my butt 45 minutes uh, north uh in LA to one of the universities over there. I think it was like Cal state something in Pasadena. And I had, um, I met with a support group of about 10 people and I photographed them for my project. Oh, wow, and then great. I showed up to class with the prince and my teacher like nearly cried because she felt like such a dick. Good. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> good. Um, so, you know, she ended up apologizing and, we kind of moved on and I created like good work out of it, but it definitely was something that I think was cool because I found a group of people dealing with similar things and it's like, oh, wow. Like we're kind of like bonding through trauma, which uh, I think can be good and it can be bad. But at the same time, you can also share things that like, have helped you, um, things that, you know, maybe you want to watch out for, shared doctors, different things that worked for you um, in a way that like a doctor might not necessarily um, convey to you.
0: Right. Yeah, I I think they're really incredible. Speaking of incredible, perfect segue, your TikTok. So you are big on TikTok and give us a description of TikTok, first of all, and then tell us what you do there.
1: Um, so TikTok is a short form video platform, meaning anywhere uh, vi- you you will see videos anywhere from three seconds long to three minutes long.
0: That's it. Oh, three minutes. Um, Okay, I can do that.
1: Now, of course, you can go through and you can add in different photos, uh, you know, to the videos, whatever. You can make a little montage. But the platform really thrives off of short form video content. um, And what that really means is you can share anything you want pretty much um, in a short amount of time and grow an audience and continue to kind of like expand your network. Um, because another thing that TikTok is famous for is you have the people that you follow and you also have their infamous for you page, which is something curated by the algorithm, uh, based off of the things that you like, the accounts you watch, the accounts you engage with, it will feed you videos, um, that you, that you like. So, uh, because of that, a lot of times the most viral videos show up on the For You page. Therefore, if you make a viral video, it could be on people's For You pages, therefore giving you more and more exposure.
0: Now, now when did that happen for you? Like, When did you start picking up?
1: I started TikTok in 2018. Um, I got hired by TikTok to be a campus ambassador. So I oh, cool. worked for them and I promoted the app on campus. I threw fun little uh shindigs for them and I just had like fun little games and trivia and people who love TikTok. So um it was it was so fun doing that job on campus. And of course I got to get paid for it. I got paid for making videos, which is like a creator's dream. Oh yeah. And Great. uh in 2019 and in 2020, like before the pandemic, that's when my videos really started taking off. Um I did kind of take a break from TikTok basically all of twenty twenty one just because I didn't feel Comfortable um, with some of the things going on with with the app internally, like it was like a moral and ethics thing. And uh, now I'm getting over that, and I'm like realizing, okay, you stupid girl, why don't you just get back on the app? And like, it's like a money making machine. Not only does it allow opportunities for collaboration and for creators to monetize, and essentially, I use this term creator um, loosely because really it just means the modern freelancer and I don't think people want to address that because if you want to be a quote unquote creator, you can make videos, but if you want to monetize it, if you want to make it a business, um, honey, you have to file an LLC. And when you do that, uh, you're getting 1099. Oh, when you're doing that, you're a freelancer. So yeah, I'm, a
0: freelanc- I'm a freelancer. Yeah, I get it.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't realize that it is a viable career path. You just have to be smart about it. Um, and again, when you're doing these partnerships, you're able to work with some of the brands for like things you're already doing. I could take this candle that's sitting right in front of me and be like, this candle is something that helps my productivity because you know it's something that I like to light each morning while I take my medicine and I leave it burning while I'm answering emails. And at a certain point in the day when I'm ready for lunch, I blow it out. And that reminds me that I need to go and eat and go for a walk because I haven't left my desk all day and therefore this is helping my mental health routine. Boom. That's a video right there. But some people might just be like, Oh my God, I love this candle. It smells so delicious. And that just might be their storytelling ability. But for me, as I mentioned before, as a storyteller, as an artist, um, I I feel inclined to add a deeper level and add kind of this like conceptualization to each piece of content that I put out. So it's it's gone from something that was like, I know what the trends are. I know how to market and how to capitalize off of the things that are going fast to I want to be intentional and raise the production value, therefore getting paid more, therefore elevating my brand. I mean, in in the two years that I've really focused on my LLC and my business and doing TikTok, my top sponsors are Spotify and Best Buy. Like, come on, like versus wow. two years ago. It's incredible. Like, I, I was working with over 100 150 brands a year just to get content out just to be like oh okay this lip balm let me make something about it let me just like prove that I'm good at this once I did that I had the social proof from there I took that and I turned that into my money making machine so yeah that's that's it
0: everything you're doing is about the social media. And so it's sort of like, I just want to put on some dang lip balm and not have to make a thing. Or I just want to, I'm like, like, you know what I mean? Like it becomes like, cause I noticed that like my dog does something cute. I'm like, oh my God, I got to get my phone. Or I got to, instead of just like, I'm going to stay in the moment and be mindful and just, and I'm not saying you're not mindful or people who do this. I'm just trying to figure that out. Cause it seems like it's a lot. Yeah, You can talk to us about that.
1: Um, no, it's, it's definitely a lot. And I am always working on my, my boundaries with, social oh, media good. um i actually funny thing like i have always had a difficult time taking photos with my friends because when I'm with my friends, I don't want to put them on social media. I don't, I want to spend time with them there. And then that's also why you will rarely see things of like my family on social media. And, um, that's like a personal decision that I've made so that when I'm with them, like I can be with them. Obviously there's times where I'll like take photos and then I'll post them later or, um, things like that. But I genuinely try to, really like enjoy the time with the people that I love, like then and there. Uh, When it comes to like also like coffee dates or, you know, uh, meeting up with, with other creators, it's like, are we having an agenda? Are we getting lunch? Are we going to create content after? Um, What's kind of that relationship? So creating of the content is the one thing. That's the thing that everyone is glamorizing right now. What you don't see is the fact that I manage a team of eight I have um, video producer, audio producer, I just onboarded a copywriter, a graphic designer, a social media manager, social media coordinator, partnership outreach, PR, and myself. So that is like a lot of things to manage. Um, as the founder, as the CEO, as the businesswoman behind it, and I'm 23 years old and I got a fucking art degree. It's so like- That's
0: amazing. I'm just, you bl- blow me away. <laughs> I am, when I was 23, I was totally confused. I was like, what am I going to do with, I just graduated yeah. college and I'm like, what
1: am I going to do with my life? But it was a I different mean, time. Also, yeah it's a different time. Like I graduated in the pandemic from my couch. Like I didn't, I didn't have anything else to do. I was here the whole time figuring out like, how do I make storytelling a profitable business? And I found a way to kind of capitalize off of that um, with TikTok, with my following, with networking. And as I started speaking about it, as I started getting in publications, I started getting these opportunities to like talk about it like globally, like in November, I spoke on a stage at the Grammy Museum about mental health and chronic illness. And then I had my segment go live with Fox like on Good Day New York. And then I spoke on a panel with like Meta or Facebook, whatever about paying creators in today's creator economy and so on and so forth. So I'm think I'm digressing from the actual point here. But
0: no, it's very interesting.
1: People don't really see that aspect of teamwork because everything's remote. My team is actually completely remote. We're spread out all over the country. And, um, you know, it's hard to even coordinate a time for all of us to like meet together and like talk together. So on top of managing them, I have to make the content, be the face of the content, like send off the content to be distributed and edited, approve the content, um, find sponsors. Right. And uh, you don't see what goes into managing that. I'm trying to build out a notion template right now that works for me and my unique brand and kind of coming up with like a checklist and an archive and a lot of ways of like, Oh, okay, here's the idea list. Here's the idea. Here's the video. Here's the status on the edit. Has it been posted? Yes or no. And then looking at the analytics of like, did this perform well? Right. That's like five steps in the process. You don't see that. Um, so I think it's just important to also give creators credit. Oh, I also have, like, accountants, but they're, like, freelancers, whatever. So um, so, so managing the books is also another thing, right? Like, what are your business expenses? Again, I didn't get a business degree. I got a fucking art degree. Do I know a single thing about business? I mean, I'm learning in my master's sure. degree right now. It's a part business degree as well, but it's definitely something that's challenging. Um, and it's also really... It's really interesting to realize like, oh my God, like the cost of living is actually crazy. And like, how do I make this a profitable business where the cost of living, um, is easily taken care of and everything else is just fun. Like I've recently struggled with, I love creating content, but I kind of am having a hard time because at first photography was my passion and then it became work. Making videos was my passion. Then it became work. Speaking is my passion. Then it became work. So how do you like dissolve that uh, relationship between passion and work and what you want to do versus what you need to do? It's all so related, and I'm still figuring it out. Like absolutely figuring it out. I'm no master.
0: Well, you're still amazing. Now on your website, you have something big is coming on February first. So yes. what? What is it? I'm excited.
1: Yeah, so uh, I announced that I am doing custom media kits. And if you are not aware, uh, media kits are essentially used to showcase and uh, land you, hopefully, partnerships or media placements. And if you're not familiar with media kits, I think the best way to describe it is it's kind of like a presentation between 10 and 20 pages. I like to do 10, but you could really do something between three. Some people say, keep your media kit one page. I say, make it 20. Um, And Alex, I'm going to explain my philosophy in a YouTube video coming up in the next few weeks, but essentially it will showcase and package you as an individual and your business um, so that people want to buy into you and your story, which is what we want nowadays. We want to see real people and real stories, right? So this philosophy dives deep into that. And that was featured on Forbes and on Fox and on uh, Business Insider. So that was pretty cool that that happened. And uh, yeah, so if you are interested in that, you can book me on my website, it is very time consuming. And people are like, Oh, like, why is it so like pricey? And I'm kind of looking at it from this is like, if you if that's out of your price range, then you're out of my price range. Like I just simply don't have the time there. And I genuinely think that the people who want to level up and land these deals that are at least worth double what the cost is to making the media kit, i.e., getting them a return on investment right away, um, I don't. I don't want the client that's not going for those types of brand deals. So I hear uh, that great. also goes into my marketing. And I mean, these media kits take anywhere between 10 and 20 hours per individual client, which is a lot of time. Uh, how many hours are we supposed to week- work in a week? It's like 40, right? 40 hours work right. hour week. So you can easily see how taking one client from, you know, a t- 10 hours, it's, that's a lot of time. Um, that's time away from creating this time away from, from a lot of different things. So um so yeah, that's just important. To, that is you know.
0: so exciting. So I know that you have a podcast, Gigi. Tell us about it.
1: Yes. Yeah, so my podcast is Everything You Need is Within. It's a show that I created, I think, derived from the the general need for me to instill confidence in others online and also have conversational uh, interviews with thought leaders and with influencers who were going through the same thing and also just kind of to debunk the fact that creators and leaders don't have problems with mental health, um, and that they aren't always confident in the things that they do. So this show kind of walks you through that. It's very candid conversations. um, And genuinely, like I go through one of my favorite things is asking everyone their uh, creative mantra at the end. And if you make it through all like 50 minutes of the show, you'll get there for each guest. So that's been uh, such a pleasure to Walk through. and uh, it's my my podcast that I host with Spotify, and you can tune in live on Green Room um, each week, which is Spotify's live audio platform. It's so much fun; I love it. Uh, and this way, you can ask questions directly to the guest, and then that kind of also will have you be featured on my podcast, which is super cool and unique because um, most podcasts are recorded. That's great. When does it air? Uh, We are Thursdays at 7 p.m. Eastern for the live shows, and uh, I... I'm waiting on releasing this new season because I'm potentially rebranding. So oh, okay. same concept, different different brand. And again, that goes with like one of my number one things, which I didn't even talking about, which is like you can either evolve or complain. And I think um, in, in that, uh, sometimes people are like, oh, you can get stuck complaining, complaining, and that's fine. No, that's not the point. The point is if there's something that is not working, you complain about it. You can either, again, continue to complain, which is already like such a low thing to do. um, Or you can evolve and make something better and change something and iterate on it. That's the whole point of iterating and making sequels and making season twos and doing this whole rebrand. So that's what I am in the process of doing right now with season three of the show. Gigi, I've had so much fun talking with you. I've learned a bunch. Is there anything you want to add? No, I mean, this was so much fun. And if you, if you want to ask me questions or talk with me just send me a dm my team is pretty responsive you'll either hear from me or one of my managers uh, on there if you want to sponsor me in any way definitely send us an email
0: and what's the email or should they just go to ggrobinson.com
1: that would be perfect um and uh yeah if you are you know someone wanting a media kit done like again hit me up on that there's honestly the possibilities are endless but i hope this was helpful and inspiring and i know we went like super deep. You really got like a full version of me and like what's going on here. So, um, so yeah, thank you so much for having me. Do you
0: feel like low energy, brain fog or bloating prevent you from accomplishing your daily goals? Genuine Health foundational products, Greens Plus, Probiotics and Omegas can help you feel your best mentally and physically so you can get more things done. When you feel great, it's easier to get things done. Whether you need more energy from increased greens, brain and focus support from omegas, or a probiotic to keep your digestion, immunity, and gut happy, look to GenuineHealth.com to give your body what it needs so you can do more every day and feel great while doing it. Visit GenuineHealth.com to learn more because done does feel good.